0: The epistle of Second John, or the second epistle of John. If you do not have a sermon outline, we have some men that are coming forward to provide one for you. If you're joining us online, I really want to encourage you to go to our website and download the PDF of the notes, and you can follow along with us as we are studying this powerful little letter. Let's look and let's review for just a moment here, and notice on the screen in front of you Last Sunday, we looked at message four and that was, can't say it enough, what was it? Can't say it enough, what? Walk. walk in love. And why would we say that? Can't say it enough, walk in love. We see that God's word repeats things. It repeats especially important things. Things that, cr- that human beings tend to forget. Um, one of the key words of the Old Testament when God is dealing with his people is the R word, remember, remember. There's so often that God is speaking to his people and he says to them, remember, remember when you were in Egypt and I pulled you out, remember when the waters were about to overflow you and I delivered you, remember that I led you with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day. Remember how I provided for you over and over again. Remember the commands that I have given to you. In the Old Testament, we see the word remember a lot. And in the New Testament, we see in the letters, in the Gospels and in the letters that are written to us as churches, we see the command to walk in love over and over and over again. How many times have you told your children to love one another? I remember my mother used to plead with the three of us. We would bicker and we would fight and we would carry on and very often they would say, you know, if you do that now, you're gonna do that later. If you keep doing that now, you're gonna grow up and hate your sister. If you don't learn to love her now, you may very well lose her, not only as a as a sister, but as a friend in your life. And I remember going to her crying, going, I don't wanna lose, I love Kelly, I love Kelly, I don't want to. You know, and she she started to put within us this statement to love one another. And then we come not just as siblings, but we come to one another as church members, one another as followers of Jesus. There were churches that had great disunity problems. And we see that that is dealt with over and over again, why? Because we're sinners and we're selfish. And if we think and act like the world, we're going to have division. You know, our world is a divided world. We've emphasized diversity, 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 till we have it where it's all the way down in the heart, very fully, and instead of being united, we are divided in so many aspects of life. Well, here we see the antidote to all of that. It is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ making us in right relationship with God so that we can be in right relationship with each other. As the power to love comes into our life, the power to forgive, the power to forbear, the power to kill the great passion for self and to begin to look at others because God's love, listen to this, God's love is an other-oriented love. He calls us to be like him, to love one another. So that was last week. Well, this morning we have another can't say it enough. And we say that because this comes up over and over and over again in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Can't say it enough, read it out loud. What does it say? Watch out for deceivers. That was very weak. Can't say it enough, watch out for deceivers. That message is stated over and over and over again, and I want us to see it. So in this little letter, here's the entire letter, it's in the box. This is the whole book of the Bible, 2 John, there are 66 books of the Bible, this is one of them. We're going to read it to get it in context once again for us. Uh, The Word tells us give attention to the public reading of Scripture so it makes sense for us to do that. This morning we will be studying verses 7, 8, um, and 9. Um, Really 7 and 8 will be focusing in on them the most, but let's read the letter. It says in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. Verse two, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Verse three, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Four times the word truth is is given in those first three verses. Those first three verses are the salutation. And so we see in this, and we studied this last few weeks ago, The importance of what fill it in there the importance of truth put that out there on the side the importance of truth we've already studied that and in verse four we see it a little bit more he says but this is a transition verse I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth remember not all but some walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the father in verse five, here's the transition. And now I ask you, dear lady, speaking to the church, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that you had from the beginning that we love one another. And so in these verses, five, six, uh, five and six, we see the importance of not just truth, but the importance of love. We see that those two go hand in hand. Look at verse six. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And then verse seven, this is where we'll study this morning. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse eight, watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, what does it say at the end of verse nine? Does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We're going to study why does he say to act so seemingly uncharitably. We're going to look at that next week. Look at verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. This is a real letter. This is a real letter to a particular church. We see it here. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. What he's saying is there's other Christians in other places that I know that I'm in contact with and they greet you in the Lord. Well, this morning we want to look at verse seven and eight, and these verses, as we see out here to the side, you can, you can say, we've already seen the importance of truth and the importance of love, and now we see, you can put out there to the side, this idea of, of the deceivers that we are called to watch out for, watch out for deceivers. Watch out for deceivers. Um, Stefan, I think you need to advance the slides a little bit there. There you go, keep going there. Um, So notice here, number one. We want to see number one. Though I have much, excuse me, notice the slightly strange transition in verse seven. For many deceivers have gone out. What does this mean? Look what it says in verse seven for many deceivers have gone out. What does this mean? One conclusion is that the false teachers can be known by the fact that they do not tell the truth and they do not walk in love. You see, this is this is that trend, we've just been told the importance of truth, we've just been told the importance of loving one another, and now when he's going to talk about the deceivers he uses the word for and what he's saying is is that these deceivers they're coming to you they don't know the truth and they don't know love at least that's not what they proclaim and that's not what they live and so what we begin to see I mean look at the letter the letter is very tiny this is a very short letter And in verse 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, we see the big problem. This is point number two. Notice the big problem. And the big problem is the presence of deceivers or false teachers. This is the main reason, fill that in. This is the main reason that John is writing the letter. So now we begin to really see it. The beginning is encouraging. The beginning is a bit of an admonition for them to love one another, but now we see what he's concerned about. John has this bird's eye view of churches all over the Mediterranean world, and he hears reports because he's the last living apostle. He is well connected, and he knows what is going on. He knows the various teachers, the various movements, and he begins to see that this particular church over here is being assaulted with false teachers, and so he writes to them to be very, very aware. Now, notice this word deceiver or planos. It comes from the root of planos in the Greek. It means a wanderer. It means a wanderer. Um, It's very interesting. This is someone who um, wanders from the truth. Notice that first bullet point there. This is speaking of somebody who wanders away from the truth. Maybe they had the truth, and this is very often, churches are typically assaulted with not people who are totally from the outside, people who don't know anything about what they believe. They are typically assaulted by people who have some knowledge of the truth. They perhaps had the truth at one time in their mind and heart. Someone had taught them what was true, but then the things of the world and other philosophies and other teachings came into their mind, and for them the truth wasn't enough. The truth wasn't good enough. Maybe the truth in itself did not cast enough light on them if that was their goal, and so they started to teach things and they started to do things that cast more light on them instead of on him. And so here we see that they do not continue in the truth, they wander away from the truth, and they fill it in, they deceive others. These are false teachers and deceivers. We see this problem presented throughout God's word. This is is a common theme. Now, it it is interesting. I remember when we studied the book of John. We studied the book of John for three years. Miguel Morgado one time came to me about, about, I guess, two or three months in, and he said, Pastor, if I view this right, and the speed that you're going, I think this is gonna take a year or two. And I said, I I think it will definitely take two years. Miguel goes, wow. Well, it wound up taking three years. Um, And that was okay, because we got to really dive into the Gospel of John, and we got to really see the way studying the Bible works in an expository way, and we got to, to really, Work on our Christology, because that's what John deals with. Who is Jesus, and do you believe in him? Um, that's That's what John really pounds, and that was very helpful to us. But I remember after the book of John, the Lord very specifically led us, led me, to teach the book of Jude next. And so we had just studied the truth of who Jesus is, and then when we dove into the tiny little letter of Jude that many people have never studied in their life, maybe never heard one sermon from the book of Jude, we spent 13 weeks going through those 25 little verses of the book of Jude. And it's in the book of Jude that we see this reality of false teachers, and I remember as I started there as a pastor, I mean, I'd been studying the Bible for a long time, and I'd been teaching as a pastor and a missionary a fair amount of time um, doing that, but I remember there was something different when we studied the book of Jude several years ago. The Lord was showing me anew and afresh how prominent this problem is in kingdom work. I begin to see that many churches hardly ever talk about false teachers. Many churches say, well, who am I to to disparage against another pulpit? And, and who am I to, I just want to be positive. I just want to be positive. Let's just stay on the positive stuff. Let's just talk about Jesus. He died for your sins and he'll forgive you and he'll come into your life and he'll help you. Let's just, people just need some positive encouragement. That's what they, they just need a positive message. Let's give the positive message. Let's, let's don't talk a lot about sin. Let's don't talk a lot about people who've got it wrong. Let's just, let's just make sure that we, that's the attitude of many pulpits. But that is not the attitude of God's word. God's word is constantly warning people in a fallen world, don't believe the wrong things. Beware that there's a a serpent, his name is Satan, and he will deceive you, and he's alive and well in this present day and time. We see God's word constantly warning God's people in a fallen world not to believe lies that are prominently displayed all around them. And so notice this, that second bullet point, we see this problem presented throughout God's Word. So when God's Word presents something a lot, what should we do? We should preach it a lot. So the things that God's Word talks a lot about, we ought to talk a lot about. The the Word talks a lot about salvation in Christ, so we preach a lot about salvation in Jesus Christ. The word talks a lot about loving one another. So we talk a lot about loving one another. The word talks a lot about being careful that you are not deceived by false doctrines, false ideologies, false philosophies. So we talk a lot about that. We're simply doing, um, uh, we're simply seeking to be a reflection of God's word and so that is our task. Notice the next point here, Satan has opposed God's truth from the beginning. And so this is a great place if you're, if you're kind of thinking about this. Maybe this is a new thought for you that we have to be really careful. I, I would encourage you this afternoon to go to Genesis chapter 3 and read all of Genesis chapter 3. It's a very short little chapter there, and it will tell you about the first sin. It will tell you about the first deception. And it's very interesting that Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan slides up to Eve and says, Did God really say that's how he begins did God really say he immediately questioned God's word that's what he does that's how he deceives us he questions God's word and he goes on and he presents his sidestep of God's word well, it's not only Satan who does that, but notice this the last bullet point there Satan's emissaries, Satan's people, Satan's um, prov- provocateurs do the same thing. And they are always present. They're always present around the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and they're always present around God's people in the New Testament. In fact, don't flip your sheet over until you look at Matthew chapter seven. Look what it says. Who is speaking in Matthew chapter seven? This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is toward the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And so there at the Sermon on the Mount, in the beginning of Jesus's ministry, listen to what he says. In verse 15, he says, beware of what? False prophets. False prophets who come to you, read it out loud, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And this has to do with false teachers, false prophets. Look at the other passages. Again, notice there at the top of page two underneath the box it says, Holy Scripture can't say it enough. God's word, Jesus speaking again. Fast forward toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Toward the end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 24, and this is just two of the places where Jesus mentions this. Jesus talks about this many, many times. He talks about false prophets many, many times. We're only showing two. Look at verse 23. Then, if anyone says to you, Look, Here is the Christ. And Jesus is warning about the end times. Jesus is warning about the end of this present era. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Here's the Messiah. There he is. Do not believe it for, what does it say? False Christs and false prophets will arise and look what they will do and they will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So we as a church need to have embedded down deep in our mind and heart the warnings of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry about false prophets and at the end of his ministry about false Christs, false messiahs, and false prophets prophets and they he he even tells us they're gonna do things that amaze you friends I believe as we really do come toward the end of this present era there's going to be more and more greater and greater deception there's already we're seeing it around the world that there is a great falling away there's a great falling away from the Christian gospel now listen just because there's a falling away listen there's also a rising up of the true church. And we can praise the Lord. I mean, he told us, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we have full confidence that God is going to accomplish his purposes through the church. But let me tell you that there is a great purification that's happening. There are many churches that are not only closing their doors, but there's many churches that are simply walking away from the gospel. They're going into a cultural gospel, a cultural Christianity, or they're denying it altogether. As the pressures come greater and greater over social issues, people that are ashamed to say that they would say that this indeed is the word of God, that these hold the words of life, these hold everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness in Christ. And there are many who would say, I can't abide with that anymore. So Jesus is warning us, beware of the great deception. Look at Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, by the way. I know that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're coming to destroy it as best they can. And from among your own selves, underline that from among your own selves. It won't only be people from the outside coming into the church, but there will be some from inside the church. We must be careful about the doctrines that we hold and the way that we disciple and the men and women that we are bringing along in the faith. Look what it says. And out from among your own selves will arise men speaking what? twisted things to draw away the disciples after them look what it says and circle it in verse 31 therefore be alert circle that therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears, and how I commend, commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." He's saying, don't leave the gospel that I stayed with you and that I preached. Look at 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13. This is Paul writing, and look what he says in verse 12. What I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim that those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Look at verse 13. For such men are what? False apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Over and over and over again, people who have departed from the Gospel come in claiming Christ and yet are not. First Timothy 4.11, he tells this young preacher, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of what? Demons. You see, false doctrine comes from hell. False doctrines come from hell. They are teachings of demons. Look at First John chapter 4 and verse 13. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out. That's toward the end of John's life. And then we mentioned already Jude, that little letter of Jude that warns, and that's the, really the great reason for the letter of Jude. It is a great warning. In verse four, and then we skip down verse 11, look in verse four, for certain people have, what does it say there? Crept, Crept in. You see, they're sly. They look good, smell good, look like one of us, sound like one of us, very pleasant for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And what kind of people are they? Ungodly people. And what do they do? They pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Verse 11, woe to them for they walked in the way of Cain, you can look that up in Genesis four, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, you can look up that in, num- in Numbers 31, and perished in Korah's rebellion, you can look that up in, num- in Numbers 16. Look at verse 12, they are, look what it says, hidden reefs. Now. For those of you who are sailors at all, for those of you who have ever been operated a boat on a lake or in the ocean, you know that shallow water is not the friend of your outboard motor. It's not the friend of the keel of your ship. And there are hidden reefs and when you come across a hidden reef, what happens? You have well, you stuck if you're lucky. You could suffer shipwreck. Notice here, these are hidden reefs at your love feast, which means they come in among you, your church is together, everything seems like it's great, everyone is enjoying one another, they're enjoying koinonia, but this guy is here to divide. This guy shows up to bring false doctrine. They are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, they're they're unabashed, they're shepherds feeding themselves. What kind of a shepherd just feeds himself? A shepherd who's known as feeding himself, what, what what is the inference there? He's not taking care of the sheep. And in fact, as Jesus had said, he is a wolf. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds. That means a cloud that's of no good. They look good, but it's of no use. There's no rain. Swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Now, in the area of the world where this was written, in late autumn, that is the time when you harvest a lot of fruit in the Middle East. So you would come up to a pear tree or a peach tree, or you would come up to any, t- any number of trees that would be there, and those would bring about fruit at late autumn, but what when you walk up to that tree, and the tree looks good, but there is no fruit. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Verse 13, wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam of their own shame. Wandering stars, there's that word wandering, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now that's the key there that he is saying that there is great judgment that is coming for these false teachers. In, ver- in fact, in verse 14 and 15, we see this judgment. It was, as, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh of A- seventh from Adam, after Adam, prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones, like he comes with 10,000 angels, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the, uh, the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, before you turn it over, notice there in verse 14 and 15, how many times does it say all and how many times does it say ungodly? This is speaking in extreme terms and I don't mean untrue extreme terms, it is wanting us to know that all ungodliness is going to be judged by this. All of this foolishness God will judge and he will judge it completely. That is the point of verse 14 and verse 15. Flip the page, our last page. Notice here Galatians 6, one through nine. Paul writes to the Galatians about this issue of false prophets. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are what? So quickly deserting deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another one, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed. Look at verse 9. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be what? Accursed. That means let him be damned. Let him be sent to hell. That's the reason you shouldn't use the word damn. It's the reason you shouldn't say damn you to anyone or to anything. That is a completely unacceptable thing for you to curse and to say. But I want you to see what it means here. It means I want you to go to hell. In fact, sometimes we say that. Um, I don't say that. I hope you don't say that. The condemnation, the only one I tell to go to hell is the devil. I mean, you, you don't need to ever tell somebody to go to hell. It is God who takes care of the judgment, not you. And it's a very serious thing when we walk into things like that. But I want you to notice here that those who teach false doctrines are accursed. They will wind up under the great judgment of God in hell. Look at number three. Notice that the false teachers were denying the true nature of Jesus Christ. And this is a very serious issue, and I want you to see it up in verse seven. Look at verse seven at the top of the page in the box. Look what it says. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Notice here that false teachers are denying the true nature of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of different ways that they do this. In this case, the one that he's pointing out here was a particular heresy. Notice and fill it in, they were denying his humanity. There are other false heresies that would deny his deity, but here they are denying his humanity. And this was something that we call incipient or early Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a heresy that would become a significant threat in the second century. So we're starting to see a little bit of it right here and we get clues about what was being handed around in some of the churches. Notice the next point there. Gnosticism was a mix of Greek philosophy, that was a big deal in the Roman world, pagan beliefs even Jewish beliefs and kind of quasi-Christian ideas. And what did it ultimately come up with? We could take a lot of time on this, but I want you to get the overall view. Look at the next point there. By rejecting Christ's humanity, excuse me, um, Gnosticism taught that all matter or flesh is evil and all spirit is good. So it's saying the flesh is bad, it's always bad. The spirit is good, it's always good. Now we know good and well that there's aspects of the flesh that are not bad. We may be corrupted in the fall of sin at this time and we're under that judgment, but the flesh is valuable to God and esteemed by God, otherwise he wouldn't plan on raising your body from the dead. This is a very important thing to him. And so notice here that not all flesh is evil but, and not all spirit is good. There are spirits that are evil and there are aspects in the spirit of the mind and the heart that are evil. Gnosticism inferred that if Jesus was God, he wouldn't have come in the flesh. So they were saying, if all flesh is evil, God wouldn't become evil in the flesh. See, so they're twisting, they're they're seeing here, and notice what happens when you say that. By rejecting Christ's humanity, they rejected his atoning death on the cross. That means his death that would pay for our sins. There's a statement here I put underneath this, the vicarious substitutionary atonement. What is the vicarious substitutionary atonement? Here it is. Christ died in my place to pay for my sins. As the priest between me and God, Christ comes. And he is the intermediary. He is the one who goes between. It's not Mary, it's not the Pope, it's not your mother. It is Christ who does that. And so so notice this with me. The false teachers often used their teachings to justify sexual exploits, greed, and all kinds of carnality and hedonism. And what they would say is, hey, the flesh is just bad, it's always bad, so it doesn't really matter what we do with the flesh. Come on over here and, you know, let's be immoral the spirit is the only thing that really matters do you know that there's christians in this day and time that can say that oh you know my flesh it's just part of my libido it's just part of my drive it's you know god made me this way and you know this i can't help it this is just my flesh and so there's there's you know there's no well i would say to you no wrong god's word is full of instruction about how to honor him in your fallen flesh through the power of his spirit You're not a dog who can't control yourself. You are a living, breathing, thinking person, and if you're a Christian, you're a person who has been saved from the sin that your body still endures, and you have been called to honor him in your body and in your life, but the false teachers of Gnosticism would say, oh, no, it's excused. You see, the same thing happens today. And the denial of essential doctrines is all around us. Um, The uh, denial of all kinds of key doctrines that would be there. There's something, uh, and I have it on the slide up here at the the very bottom, a a popular thought over the last couple hundred years has been antinomian, uh, antinomialism. And the the idea of antinomianism is the idea of, well, there is no law. Because of Christ and his grace and his mercy, the law is finished, there is no law, there is no moral law that you must live by. Well, antinomianism is a great concern. No, we, we still, live according to God's grace, and his law is not thrown away and done away with. J.C. Ryle put it like this, and I want you to see that quote that is there. Hopefully you can read it, but look what he says. The antinomians, they are people who boast of having a saving interest in Christ. They are pardoned and forgiven, while at the same time they live in willful sin and open breach of God's commandments. I dare say that such people are miserably what? Deceived. Deceived. So we are called to recognize that there are many deceivers and it's all kinds. In fact, there are heresies all around us. Notice this word cloud that is here. I mean, it can be the power of positive thinking. It can be the prosperity gospel. It can be antinomianism. It can be the social gospel. It can be um, liberation theology. It can be moralism. There's all kinds of false doctrines that make their way into the lives of many Christians. God is telling us be careful to stay in the truth. Look at number four here with me. Notice the direct command to watch yourself. Notice the direct command to watch yourself. This is not a suggestion or a mild recommendation This is in, I may be missing number four on the the, uh, screen, sorry about that, but fill this in. Notice the direct command to watch yourself. Um, Just like we saw earlier um, last week, there are direct commands in this passage. Here is another one. He is saying with an imperative that you are to watch yourself. And what are you to watch yourself for? Notice what's at stake, number five. Notice what is at stake. It is the master's reward. And I want you to read that passage in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Look what it says. Watch yourselves so that you do not lose what we have worked for. But many, but excuse me, but may win a full reward. So it's something that can be lost and yet there is a full reward. So what is at stake? there's what's at stake is the master's reward he's saying don't lose the reward that God has and as I've prayed about this and thought about this and think about the whole of Scripture and the rewards that the Bible talks about the first reward that I want to draw your attention to here is following false doctrine can obstruct the reward of coming to to saving faith you see if you're someone who gets drawn to false doctrines. Maybe you're here, you're hearing the gospel here. I would like to proclaim to you that we are seeking to accurately and carefully teach you and to tell you what the gospel says, what God's word says about how you can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and through faith in him alone. This is the true nature of the gospel. But there are many who would teach to you a, well, it's Jesus plus some other things. It's Jesus plus your good works. It's Jesus plus all of your sincerity. It's Jesus plus your self-sacrifice toward other things. Those things will keep you from the true message of the gospel. False doctrine can obstruct someone coming to saving faith. That's why when we go out to preach the gospel, to speak the gospel to our friends and to our family and to the people around us, we need to get it right. We need to very plainly see and to say what Christ says. Um, Just to be clear, once received, one's true salvation cannot be lost. This is not something that can be lost, but it can be lost before it gets there if the gospel that's being preached is a false gospel. There is a second false doctrine or or, uh, reward that can be lost. Notice this, following false doctrine can obstruct the reward for walking in faithfulness. You see, this is for Christians. These are for people who have truly become Christians, and they, if they begin to walk in false, false doctrine, and they begin to live for Christ for the wrong reasons, and they begin to believe other things, it can re- remove the reward that you otherwise would have had because you, was, and that's what he's saying in verse eight. Look up in the box at page eight, or at verse eight once again watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. He's saying, be careful that you don't lose what all the gospel has to offer. Because if you go off and you follow false doctrines, you are going to miss out on what all God has for us. Yes, and this is, Okay, this is a little bit of a mind blower for some of you as we end, and this would be a great place for you to do some study this afternoon. Notice this, yes, the Bible teaches that believers will be rewarded for their service to Christ. Study those passages, and this is just a few of them. There are many, many more passages besides these that I've listed that talk about the rewards of God, the rewards in heaven that he has for his children. Okay, and here's the one that's gonna stretch you a little bit. There will be rich and there will be poor in heaven. And what determines this? One's level of genuine faithfulness and service to Christ in his kingdom. Now there's, there's a lot of passages that refer and point us to this picture that Jesus has rewards for those who love him. Jesus has rewards for those who are faithful to him. And and you know, he sees all the way down into the motives of your heart. He sees all the way down into do you truly love him? Do you really pursue him? Do you truly honor him? Do you really obey him? It's not about what others see. Let me be very careful to say that here, lest we have a bunch of little Pharisees here next Sunday. It's not about what others see. It's about what the Holy Spirit knows is going on with you. And so what he's calling you and what he's calling me to is a humble life of genuine faith and gratitude to him that comes to love him more and more. And some of you may say, well, I struggle with this. I don't love him like I should. Tell him that. Ask for help. Ask for help that your heart would come to love him. And you know what he does? He answers prayers like that. Do you serve him with your life? Are you involved with his kingdom? I want to say to you, that that is the life that God rewards. And we should not fall into false doctrines that lead us astray and confuse us from honoring Christ. And that's what John is warning this church and that's what he is warning our church through this word. Can't say it enough. Watch out for deceivers. Amen? Would you stand with me for prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you for this glorious word that constantly cuts us and cuts down deep into who we are. Lord, you, by your wonderful word, you convict us. And Lord, I would much rather be cut by your word and be convicted and shown where I'm wrong and turn away from that then, Lord, to falsely believe that all is well when perhaps my mind and my heart are far from you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who watch ourselves in our doctrine. Lord, I think about all of the students in this church that are either in high school or in college and they're hearing the instructions from the world. Lord, I pray that we would watch ourselves, that they would watch themselves and be careful about what they believe. Lord, I think about all of us that are under the sound of social media and under the sights of social media and the news media and the popular thinking of this age. Lord, these are faults doctrines too these are deceivers too that want to carry us away and to reject what you have said and so Lord I pray that we would watch ourselves that we do not fall into the way of the thinking of the world Lord the world is saying that life is not important your command to fill the earth and subdue it in Genesis is not important. We see the debate over abortion, the reckless disregard for what you have created. Lord, I pray that we would be careful that all of the thinking of the world that's so very powerful in the messaging of the world would not confuse us about what you say about life. That you create life and you've said not to destroy it. Lord this is the first command that you gave to humans. Fill the earth and subdue it. Here Satan is presenting to us this idea that we're overpopulated and that we shouldn't allow these children to come into the the world. No, you've called us to live lives that are honoring to you. You've called us to live lives that value life lord we're being told all kinds of things about our sexuality and about our genders things that you plainly made us a certain way and yet as plain as our physics could be lord we are being told to believe other things i pray that we would lovingly lord stay with you I pray that we would not allow the falsehoods and the deceivers of the world to try to convince us to adopt the thinking of the age, but Lord, that we would stay with you in all of these things. Lord, in our Christology, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about your word, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about the end things, what we believe about heaven to come, Lord, I pray that we would stay in the truth. In the glorious name of Jesus, I ask for this. Amen.